Howdy, everyone. The D&D themed talk show where we discuss the greater world of Dungeons and Dragons outside the campaign table. I am your host, Mike Merritt. And I'm Sam Capic. Yeah, my co-host is Sam Capic. That's me. How dare you you interrupt my glorious introduction? Well. (laughs) How dare dare you? Because I have a soothing, trustworthy voice. I immediately distrust you now. <laughs> I'm if I could trust you, <laughs> that's don't joke like that. We just <laughs> had that happen. That's not funny right now. Okay, that's not funny. I'm gonna get you. <laughs> no, it wasn't you. I knew it was you. It was me. <sighs> I bought seven Oculus Rifts. What? That? Why? Not even the quest. <laughs> just Rifts. Yeah, Do just you have seven computers to attach those to? Uh, no, I just kind of tie them together and use them like a flail. Oh, good. good. <laughs> it's a siege weapon. Yes. So, well, what's today's uh, week, what's today's talk show about, Mike? Well, this week we are talking about the art of world building. Uh, this is a this is a pretty tough thing for especially a lot of new DMs to get a rain on because. Let's be honest, building a world from scratch. That's a big it's really ask. difficult. That is yeah, a tall it's, order. That's a big one. And speaking from someone who has actually both of us who have created worlds from scratch ourselves and are currently doing one together. Ooh! Boy. Oh, it is. <laughs> it can be stressful at points. Yeah. You know, there's it's one thing to say, you know, like medieval Europe style area and then just plop people down in in front of like the half developed like British countryside. Poly- yeah, yeah, polygonal countryside. Or if you really want to go into that 8K photorealistic detail. And that's that's the difference, you know. People spend years building a world before they let it out into into society absolutely and that's Um, something that they have a very solid reference for but if you're trying to build something like oh i want to build 13 floating cities up above an abyss it's like that's a lot yeah because you you have have to come come up up with it on your own exactly and what we're going to do today is kind of talk about the steps that we're building yeah the steps that we take world building at its fundamentals and then some of the obstacles that we've run into oh, building yeah. world together and separately um, and kind of explain how, how we get past evolu- everything. Yeah. How evolutionary world building is for everyone involved and how worlds can be fluid. Yeah. They don't always have to stay exactly the same. Exactly. So to kick it off, uh, I want to say my first step and world building is to sit back. Um, now, this is from my standpoint. Uh, this is kind of an, an, a look into my process. I listen to, I think of what the theme of the campaign is going to be, what I want like the world to be like for that campaign. And then I listen to music. 
that's a good thing. I listen to music a lot when I write about pretty much everything and writing yeah. for a world building session is no different. I have a whole playlist. I personally find music that fits into a certain mood. Mm -hmm. So if I'm writing about an area that's a little bit more whimsical and very magical and a little a little bit more on the happy side, I'll put on a happy playlist. <laughs> but if I'm doing something a little bit more like, oh, this is a grim dark. Pardon me. I just had a oh. LaCroix and so I got a little a little burpy you there. Fancy, sir. I know. Aren't I a hipster? But, Strawberry sneeze water. All right, listen. This one is Pumplemousse. Pumplemousse. <laughs> but um, pretty, if I'm writing about somewhere that's a little darker, or a little more grimdark, I'll put on some a little bit more foreboding music, and that kind of gets my creative juices going. I definitely Helps. do yeah. exactly the same thing. Um, I like to kind of isolate myself when I'm when I'm coming up with things like. Uh, the greater themes of the world and, and everything and listen to certain music soundtracks. Now, you know me and you know that I gear myself more towards darker settings than I do high fantasy. That's Absolutely. who I am as a DM. I'm definitely a storyteller DM, but I'm also very grim, dark, very yeah. much swayed towards the darker side of D&D &D and, and storytelling. Yeah, uh, and meanwhile, so, I prefer a little bit more of the building a world i prefer a lot more on the whimsical kind of fantastical side yes you do yes Indeed. you do and given <laughs> the stories in it might be a little bit more of that darker kind of eldritch horror side but at the core it's still a very fantastical world yes and so what is your very first step when even coming up with the core idea of the world that you're trying to build i like to come up with just the world in general uh yeah. i like to think of what kind of populace what kind of people live there yeah first and foremost yeah so um a good example is uh in the world kind of a kind of a sneak peek but into the world we're building together you and me yes uh, you notice how when we were starting to build, the first thing I said was, this is where the elves live. Yeah. And then we built around that. We built around that concept. I think the most important part of any world building exercise is the people involved. Definitely. And because they make the world. Yeah. I'm a little different in this sense, if I can be honest. Really? What's Indeed. your take on it? My take is that if I am starting to do a world building uh, and just building an entire thing from scratch, I will take a piece of paper and I'll take some paint or some ink or something and I'll actually flick it onto a piece of oh. blank paper. Because You I, mean like, yeah, yeah, the physical world building? For sure. I, I prefer cool to start with uh, kind of the geology and the geography and the shape of the world. And then I think, okay. all right, who would who would choose to live in the mountains or who would be forced to live in the mountains you know <laughs> yeah and then i write a war uh i write the people into the world instead of writing the world around the people wow that see that i think that's a very traditional way of doing it and a little like, bit yeah i well no but i i respect that because i'm actually not uh not that great at doing that 
I, I, I need to think of the cultures and stuff that live there and then build into the world around those people and then decide where they live and all that stuff and how yeah. it looks. But I, I'm better at building a culture than I am at building um, the actual geography. And then I, I, I create the geography around the people. I think it's I think it's two routes to the same port, if you ask me. Where... Absolutely it is. It's just two different methods that are both exactly. equally acceptable because in the end they come up with the same result, a rich world with lots and lots of people in them. Absolutely. And so I I highly suggest just starting with whichever one you hear and you think like, oh man, that sounds like a fun place to start. Because getting started, hardest point. Hardest thing to Oh do. my god. Yeah, I just finding that foothold for yourself and taking that step up is incredibly difficult. And and it's it's kind of emotionally daunting too. Uh yeah. Not not just from a creative aspect, but from, you know, from your own mental block being I hope people enjoy this. Are people going to enjoy this? Absolutely. That's a big thing in world building is Am I creating a world that people are going to enjoy? Yeah, is it worth playing in? Yeah, exactly. Here's here's a question for you, Mike. Oh. In terms of home games, not for podcasts Mm -hmm. or anything, what is your idea on playing in a pre-existing world that is not an established Dungeons & Dragons world? Like, what if you were to play a Dungeons & Dragons game in the world of The Witcher or the Fallout universe? Do you think that's something that is worth doing, or do you think it's better to stick with either Dungeons and Dragons media or uh, your own homebrew <laughs> world? I'm gonna, I'm gonna absolutely uh, answer that with great confidence. That yes, it is absolutely worth it to go into other worlds and and deal with those problems uh, personally. Uh, you have played in my Star Wars game. Absolutely. Um, it's a D20 system that's based off of the the iconic Dungeons & Dragons uh, Wizards of the Coast system, but with tweaks. And that's the important part right there with that part of world building is that if you're going to do something like going into the Witcher world, going into the Star Wars world, uh, you know a very popular one going into Lord of the Rings going into Middle Earth you have you absolutely have to tweak the mechanics of players and the world and how the world reacts to magic and all of that stuff based on someone else's creation yeah and I do think that is a great way to actually learn world building is to play around in other people's creations and see how they make things work Absolutely. Because that can give you inspiration like, oh, well, they draw their magic from crystals. Well, that's like mm-hmm. a that's a really cool idea. I'm going to put my own spin on this. And maybe, you know, these crystals are the corpses of demons that mages have learned to <laughs> harness in order to cast their own spells. Yes. And so, uh, you know, that's and a lot of a lot of good ideas are done. uh just like that, where, you know, somebody pops up some random thing that they just add into the world and it, it helps work yeah. better. 
If you get inspired, um, generally my advice is say, it's like this, but, and then you add your own thing to the end. That way you do exercise your own brain and your own creativity a little bit. I've, I'm guilty of that for sure. Huh. I think that everyone is. And I don't sure. think it's anything to feel guilty about. No, absolutely not. Uh, you remember back to Storm King Slender. Oh, yeah. Uh, where they take this base thing where there's like a giant war going on in the background. Kind of. Not really. I don't know if I'd call um, it the background. Well, for us, it wasn't. I put it in the foreground. Yeah. But in the base game written by Wizards of the Coast... It's in the background and you're oh. doing your little quest and there's you don't really you see the aftermath of battles sometimes, but like you're not dealing with it. There's no council. There's no there's nothing going on. You're just going and doing your quest. But I pushed it to the forefront because how is a giant war not going to be in the forefront? Absolutely. <laughs> how is that not going to be something that we're talking about, <laughs> you know, that we see every day? We run into giant patrols. We, you know, there's dragons getting involved because dragons and giants don't like each other. You know, there's yeah. there's big epic battlefields un like unfolding across the world. How do you not, as the main characters, the protagonists of the story, how do you not how do you not it? somehow become embroiled in that? Yeah. And that's another aspect of world building is making if you're going to use an established world like Rime of the Frostmaiden, like Storm King Slender, or any of the other great modules that that they have out from Wizards of the Coast, how are you going to make it your own? You don't necessarily yeah. have to, but you're going to want to. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, uh, Battle Bard here brings up a great point. I tend to start my world building around the magic and technology of the world and go from there. And I think that is a absolutely fantastic way to start. Mm. I recently uh, did a little one-shot of a world with uh, Mike and some other friends where we were <laughs> on a bunch of floating islands and each and every one was themed around a different school of magic. And they were all kept in the air by these large magic crystals. And so I do think oh, that yeah. kind of establishing the magical and technological state of the world can be a great place to start because then you can decide like oh well if they have this level of magic well obviously they can make mountains of their own or shape the world in this sort of capacity to fit their needs mm. so now he says this is of course after I come up with the big concept which is usually created by combining two ideas into one which again fantastic place to start you know, he brings up another point is is when you're when you're creating the world from scratch and and you want to break away from the regular uh, the regular like iteration of, you know, there's dwarves and they're big stocky and there's humans and there's elves and stuff instead flipping an idea on its head and creating an example he he says is the evolution of anthropomorphic bugs instead of humans. Those are ideas that just come to you <laughs> oh, yeah. and they can come at any point. That's why it takes a long time to build a world because you kind of want to sit on an idea and let stuff like that, like that genius idea. Oh yeah. Pop into your head. 
and world building takes a very long time because so mm-hmm. far we've been talking about the big picture. Yes. But you have to remember there are civilizations and within mm-hmm. those civilizations there's a capital and there's other yep. cities and there's villages and towns and those and have rulers and mayors and exactly people that live there. There's they a have, blacksmith in each one of them. <laughs> and the one of the bigger things is they have problems. They have quests attached to them. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't have to design every little quest because that's that's for the campaign. But for the world, like, oh, well, this civilization's main issue is, you know, they are constantly feuding with so-and-so or, you know, they are influenced by dark magic for centuries and they're constantly fighting off the undead to save the people or you know they're set up in the desert for some reason and of course they have a famine because they can't grow their (laughs) own goddamn food or uh a good example of this of absolute just haywire world bending these guys they had to have been on like they either were on drugs or they are drugs or, or they are drugs because if you have ever played in the uh, campaign setting of Eberron. Oh. Um, that is some wacky shit. <laughs> uh, There's a everything lot. is super duper duper in depth. I mean, you could there's you could spend your entire campaign in one city, Sharn, which is the main human city, and it's yeah. a gigantic mega city. Like, what? There's so much going on. And somebody sat down and made that. And yeah, it's someone, still like and you have blows to think about, my mind. You know, they didn't write that overnight. That's an unreasonable expectation. No, that sir. probably took them took years. Them years. Yeah. And now that could be maybe they played in the settings and their players helped them come up with ideas. Okay, that gets on to the next point that I wanted to make. Absolutely. I'm cooperative world building. Mm-hmm. That's what D and D is. Cooperative world building. That's a phrase that people hear all the time, but don't really take it into take it to the full extent that it could be. Yeah. Uh, they take I it played, as everyone plays just one character, and that's all they can, all they have yes, agents. Yes, and they over. affect the world through that character. Which, there's no problem with that if you have a really well-prepared DM or, you know... An established world to work in. An established world to work in. When I played uh, my homebrew zombie apocalypse campaign, I I told the players... uh, Battlebard can back me up. He was there. (laughs) Uh, I created the world with my players. And it's like as it was going we would run into some issue and it would be a it would be a gang or something you know like these horrible monsters like the 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 antagonists of a specific part of the story that they were in it was a gang called the wendigos and they uh they if he will get to that in just a second but there is <laughs> an answer to that um but the wendigos eat zombies and become like these half zombie human hybrids. Uh, and they're just horrible. I didn't come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> My older brother did, one of the players. 
Yeah, sometimes <laughs> sometimes like, the characters will throw around theories or weird ideas as just like a guess, like, oh, you would do that. And you as a DM hadn't thought of it before. But then you're I'm like, oh, it. oh, hold up, wait. <laughs> yeah, what what no, no, I would never I would never and you slowly write it down on your notebook. Yes. There's and, so many moments just like that. Where honestly, players I would never do that to you. <laughs> sometimes players are better writers than you are. Yeah. Because when you do a session, a lot of times if you leave it on a cliffhanger, you leave the players with their minds just going wild, thinking yep. about every little thing that could happen. And yep. so that's just great. That's like a harvest of ideas. You can just take all the take all the little ideas that your players give you and put them in your little box. And it's like, I'm going to use this later. <laughs> this is the thing that would traumatize them the most? Good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? You would hate that? Hmm. Oh, oh so no. Why would, would that I... ever happen? <laughs> no, but that's true because what I think of... Uh, when I think of players, I think of uh, basically player and DM are it's, basically an editor and a group of writers in one room creating a story together. Absolutely. And, and I think that the issue a lot of starting DMs have is that they have an idea very set in their head and that even if their players mention something, they're not willing to deviate from this preconceived kind of storyline or plot that they have. And even if it's not exactly like a hardcore railroading, that they're not really willing to take an idea that someone has and workshop it into there. That they're like, all right, this is, you know, this is the bad guy. This is what's going to happen. No matter what anyone says, I'm going to stick to that. And they'll kind of glance past everything their players think might happen because it is rewarding as a player when you're like, oh, this will happen. And then it does, mm. even if it does suck. Because it's like, oh, you know, Steg is going to get eaten by a dinosaur. And, you know, he does, and it sucks because Steg got eaten by, by a dinosaur. But also I'm like, yes, I knew it. I knew it. It happened. <laughs> Self-fulfilling prophecy is a real thing in the d, &D universe. <laughs> because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things that, like, I have been playing around with without too many spoilers or anything like that. Well, no spoilers, but some of the things that I've been playing around with uh, when it comes to Rhyme of the Frostbane uh, is you guys immediate thought that, like, oh, the fact that Yora has a cloak of owl feathers is really going to piss off the Frostmaiden. Yeah. And I was like, you know, <laughs> you know, that's. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it would. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Furiously scribbles notes on attitude <laughs> changes. <laughs> like, yes, it would. And her her owl feather cloak, that episode was the first time I had ever heard that description from her. Yeah. So I didn't have any room to make that, which goes into our next thing. The world is ever changing and evolving. Absolutely. And you can even be weird like me who likes to create a world and then play separate campaigns in it in different places and have those campaigns affect the world based on the results of that campaign. 
Absolutely. Um, very, very Mass Effect kind of style, um, but Given without one like, group of adventurers running around doing all the stuff. That can be very tricky for new DMs, though, because that is oh running. Oh, my God, yeah. That is it's running. tricky for me. That is, play, <laughs> that is playing two, cam- you're DMing two campaigns. So. Yes. And I've done that. And then I now running two campaigns in the same world and having them meet was the hardest thing that I have ever done as a DM. Yeah. Was running y'all's combat together, the two different groups meeting each other with completely different attitudes toward the world and goals and coming together for a battle and then DMing 11 or 12 of you all at the same time during a combat. Oh, jeez. That That, was... That is a mess. It was terrible. Yeah. (laughs) But let's let's answer uh, Iffy's question real quick. Absolutely. Uh, Would you guys ever consider making a campaign set on Earth? We actually did something like that. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. If you'd like to describe it, Mike, considering you were the dungeon master or well, game master. Which, which one are we uh which one are we talking about? Because you ran one too. I was thinking the zombies one that you ran recently. Yes. Uh I set uh it's just it's basically an invasion apocalyptic setting of some kind. You can flip out all of the monsters and all of the all of the baddies uh for whatever you want aliens zombies horrible mutants whatever you yeah. whatever you need it to be but basically you play yourself in this one you play like a a mildly fantasized version of yourself we began one iteration of the game we began in um in downtown atlanta during dragon con a plane crashed releasing a zombie infection that spread across the city like wildfire uh and they were at they were at ground zero so they were in the marriott uh marquee when it happened and already hordes were going through and they were dealing with a lot of body horror stuff yeah on the other one that was we did a a cordyceps yes and it was in new york it was very it was very The Last of Us meets The Division. Um, where there were safe zones and red zones and all these different things. And we used an actual map of New York to to navigate through the streets. And I would describe how things were not, you know, <laughs> were not open. You know, that bagel shop that you used to go to... Uh, that you used to go to their battle bard is not open anymore. <laughs> not <laughs> the completely destroyed. No, but they would go through and there was a lot of uh there was a lot of like body horror in that too. Um if he asked another great question. How uh, were combat mechanics affected by modern weaponry? Indeed. Um not too badly. A... Really? <laughs> not too badly. Um one, there's two ways you can do that. You can make modern weaponry based on where you are, especially in a place like New York, uh, where there's pretty strict uh, firearms restrictions and things like that. You're not going to find a lot of those on the streets. But That's- when you do, you make sure that 
they are there's not a lot of ammo but that the the weapons do a lot of damage absolutely i when i toy around with this idea i make sure that uh cover is a very important mechanic yes it is because you know if you get shot chances are you're out of the fight and randy did get shot yeah so we want to make sure that you have you have a fighting chance of avoiding getting shot even if someone does have like a handgun or a rifle or something that all right i can play around this as a as a player i know how to combat this and as long as i am playing smart i can still come out on top even if i only have you know relatively primitive weaponry and so now that is something that definitely comes in with the combat design which we'll talk about on another show is how to design combat we have a whole we have a whole different show on that but Um, you have to kind of when you're making the world you have to kind of decide the climate of how combat works in your world is it you know very heavy magic spells and fireballs are flying swords are clashing or is it more of these slow methodical small group skirmishes that happen throughout the world no real war but almost kind of like cold war level espionage kind of like calm cool and collected very much um i think the the new york campaign was very very much uh um like small skirmishes they did a lot of small skirmishes and then it was very heavy on the survival and less focused on um on putting rounds downrange at anything that's going to shoot back yeah, because uh, at that point in it, they were already the world had already fallen apart. There wasn't a lot of military stuff going on, uh, so it was just them surviving against gangs of small small groups, and then zombies that would flood the streets at night. Right. Yeah. K uh, squared. It it was it was survival based. It was like. They had to scrounge for food and help people so that they could get food and water. And, you know, if they wanted more ammunition for the very few guns that they had, they had to go, they had to trade stuff that was vital to their survival for ammunition and things like that. Uh, There was also a lot less, like, monstrosities in this one, in that one, the New York one, and more so a human element that was scary. Because the idea of a half-zombie Wendigo uh, gang member, that, honestly, that was a genius move by, actually, I think it was it was Battlebard and Pete that came up with it kind of at the same time. Um, Just spouting it out there. And it was, I mean, it was brilliant world-building on the hot seat, which is something that they do very well. But, you know, as opposed to the one that was in Atlanta, where it was just hopelessly running from, it was more of that sneaky stuff that you were talking about. Yeah. More kind of methodical, where you had to be very planned and calculated with every little thing you did. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they got stuck in a hospital and were being chased by a creature made out of hands and eyes. Like it uh. was... It was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> All right. 
Um, that was almost traumatizing. <laughs> well, my we're we're coming up a little bit on time. So, if you had to put the art of world building up in a nice little bow before we get to any last minute questions, how would you do that? Just whatever. Sum- summarize it all. Summarize it all. Indeed, condense. Um, no matter what, no matter what you think, no matter how 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 many doubts you have, or if you think something's a good idea, world building is entirely there to give the players some place to trounce around in. And if they are happy, you did a great job. I think that's a good way to put it. I personally would. Put what about it you? That, ooh, I'd put it that. Give it the give world building the time it needs. I think that a lot yes. of people will Agreed. rush the idea of building an entire world and mm-hmm. end up playing in it while it's still half baked. Yep. Give it give it time to give it time to cook. You know, let your Come ideas more ideas fully explore the thoughts in your head because it's art in and of itself. Exactly, and. You can write an amazing story, but if the world that the story is in isn't done, it's not going to be a good story. So your world that you're building is is your baby first before any campaign unfolds. Absolutely. So take care of it. I couldn't agree more. So, so we've got we've got some last the, minute questions. Indeed. Let's go ahead. And if anyone else has any more questions. Feel free to slap them in the chat. We'll answer a few of them. Uh, How was the campaign resolved? (laughs) How do you finish something like a zombie apocalypse? That is a great (laughs) question because a lot of those storylines tend to be like, how do I, how does everything end up okay? So it was a preview. does everything end okay? So it was a preview. Um, It was just kind of a play test of the idea. So we ended it on a cliffhanger. but what happened was, is that uh, Pete saved everybody that he could by turning himself into a Wendigo and fighting zombies on the boat of a speeding uh, of a speeding boat on the deck of a speeding boat that was chugging up the uh, the Hudson River in the middle of New York, headed towards what we called uh, what we call there was it was green green yellow green yellow red and black zones hmm. um black zones were completely gone there was no hope of ever getting them back and they were speeding towards it because the wendigos had taken control of the area and uh he himself was turning into a wendigo so he sacrificed himself to save the rest of the crew uh i think he killed randy too <laughs> if I remember correctly, he killed Randy and then jumped off into the river and saved the rest of the crew. Uh, that was <laughs> rip rest Randy. in peace, Randy. Uh. <laughs> he went and got himself bit, <laughs> um, but it was really it was an epic fight and it was really great. And then uh, the sounds of gunfire echoed throughout the streets of New York as the war for New York began. Um, Battle Bard asks, how I often overbuild my world. How do I know when enough is enough? I have a pretty uh, good uh Sam, I I've been talking a lot. I want you to I want you to chime in first. Absolutely. So in order to avoid overbuilding my world, I will 
start to kind of think of a very, very rough campaign, kind of like a very basic one. And if I end up thinking like, okay, well, you know, they would go and fight the zombies here and they would go talk to the king about this. And I just kind of run through it. And if I ever run up into an obstacle where it's like, oh, well, how would they, you know, what's this like? And I think through it try, kind of from the player's perspective. And if there's ever any hole, like a big missing note that you don't think that the players would be able to fill on their own with their own theories or speculations, then you know that you need to keep writing. But if you're able to go through a very simple plot without really running into any hitches or snags, then I'd say leave enough enough because it's a very similar philosophy I have to making terrain where a lot of times when you are painstakingly crafting something, you will notice every little flaw and every little bump and hole in this piece of art you're making. But if you're standing five feet away, does it still look good? Can you still tell what it is? And are you able to make a story around it? Then that's good enough because not everything needs to be this whole Machiavellian philosophical mess. <laughs> it doesn't, you, you're not, you're not Da Vinci. <laughs> oh my God. So if very beautifully put my friend, the hardest part is being able to take that step back and step into the shoes of your own players and think, man, this is cool. And I want to take I want to take another uh, another view of that as well. That's I mean, yes, absolutely. But I also want to think of how much work you're putting into it and have to have to gather my thoughts here because I had them just a second ago. Yeah, you said Machiavellian and my whole brain went. (laughs) (laughs) That's big Um, word. Okay, so we when you're building the world, uh, think of one, how much stress you're putting on yourself to get every little tiny detail just absolutely microscopically perfect. And don't don't stress yourself out that much. Like it's already stressful enough building a world. Also, leave some of that world building to your players. Absolutely. Think to yourself, is this something that the players could develop on their own? Is this something that could change based on what they do? And if it does, let them do it. They will make a world that they find fun to play in. Yes, they will. And they will do it with or without your permission. Yeah, usually against your permission. Yes. Because you'll be like, oh, I have this king with this dark secret. And they're like, "Mm." for me, how do I know when enough is enough? Is when, when am I blurring the lines between my world building and player agency. That's a good way to put it. That's that's where I know I, enough is enough. That's a lot simpler than how I put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a different it's a different view because yours is about you're about the teeny tiny details and running through a campaign in your head and like problems and them clashing together yeah. and then like I'm I'm telling it from the player's standpoint and it, the stress because yeah. <laughs> I have stressed myself. Remember the stress rash? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if you start 
feeling yourself getting stressed over world building, then that means that you're probably getting a little too far into the nitty gritty. Just relax. All the small details, you can come up with them as you go. You don't need to come up with the name of every single, every single vendor. You know, you can, there weren't, there's name generators. It's fine. I think that, well, let's, any more questions? Anybody? I think, let's see who's. Kaylee. Kaylee, do you have any more questions? If not, we can. All right. So we're going to, we're going to end it there. Thanks everybody for joining us for Table Talks. That was a very nice, informative episode uh we had some great questions so i would like to thank our live guests for coming in and asking questions uh because it makes the episode so much better so we love you guys thank you so much for coming in and taking time out of your day how can people join this discord to listen in live and ask their own questions uh it will be a public discord but i will be posting uh the link all around all over the place and we will also be posting it on wherever you can view podcasts uh to listen in after the fact and there you go folks Um, yep you can also find us at patreon.com slash tpkg uh on spotify or wherever you view podcasts for the main campaign as well as table uh table talks you can find the official uh, Brutal Critical and TPK uh, Instagram at tpk.games. And then we have a TikTok now. Ooh. Uh, it would be Brutal Critical Official. Uh, there's nothing on it yet because we have some big announcements that we're going to make here in the next couple of weeks. So you guys stay tuned because. There's some huge stuff moving under the surface. Uh, and we can't wait. We cannot wait to show you. Uh, Sam, where can they find you, buddy? Ooh, you can find me on Instagram at Authorized Entry. I post pictures of all my animals. <laughs> that last one of Gigi was divine. Ooh, <laughs> she is. She does not like being in pictures. What? What, what a... What a regal animal. You can find me at Canis, that's C-A-I-N-U-S, on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, whatever. Uh, that's our episode, guys. Thanks you so much for coming in. Thank I you, know everyone. We're long-winded, and we we like to hear ourselves talk. Indeed. So we like talking we, at people. Yeah, I, I love talking at people, because that means they have to listen to me. Big thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for our episode, guys. So until next week, I'm Mike Merritt. And I'm Sam Kapik. And this has been Table Talks. See you guys guys. on Thursday. Bye. Bye. Players are carefree, invested in story Lines without a rhyme or reason Unresolving, should I be stealing Right from their theory Crafting a world, am I just being lazy Sometimes, the deadline I tend to misjudge Encounters are fine If I make them a 